0: If you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. So as of now, I think the plan is that uh, both this morning and next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to talk about the subject of worship. And uh, this morning, it's going to connect to us that's going to be our focus as worship regarding the believer, and uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, again uh, the uh, the subject of of the day that's going to come when all the world is going to worship God, and um, that is such a fun subject to put our thoughts to, and uh, so I'm excited if that's the direction things will go next week. I don't know what uh, scenes may come to your mind when you think of worship in the Bible. Um, We'll probably get to a number of them. (laughs) Uh, There's uh, some wonderful uh, scenes. And this one for me, I don't know, this one for me is, is, it it ranks up there. Maybe it's my favorite scene of worship. Uh, The imagery here, it's so, um, it's just uh, such a desirable place. You want to be a part of what happened here on this occasion. We'll start for context in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 28. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. And we love these next four words, right? (laughs) He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And behold, Jesus met them saying rejoice or or greeting them. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. This scene here, uh, what a precious thing to uh, to picture that as the women were on their way to tell the disciples what they had been told, Jesus meets them, and their thought—it uh, just uh, their response seems to be so effortless, right—that they 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 go right to his feet, and they hold him there, completely prostrate down right before him, holding on to him, worshiping him. And worshiping him, just just thinking, maybe speaking, their hearts just just filled with th- thoughts of everything wonderful, everything good and pleasant and lovely about him that they've learned, and it's just it's just filled up uh, their complete concentration, and uh, they're just delighting themselves there being right at his feet, just holding on to him um, and uh It was pleasing to them. It really should be pleasing to us too. This this scene really should appeal to the Christian. Um, We should find ourselves as we mature in the faith, uh, as we love the Lord more and more, that this place um, is desirable. I want to be there. I want to be there at his feet. I want to have my thoughts, my heart occupied with everything that I've ever learned about him, everything that uh, just all his beauty and his loveliness and his perfections. I just want to be uh, occupied with those things there at his feet, holding on to him. Hmm. This is a good place to be. And the women are there just holding on to him worship, it's so fitting that we would fall at his feet. Uh, I know there's a number of perhaps reactions that we might have uh, if uh, we were to see him. Uh, we might uh, jump up and down. We might rejoice. We might sing. We might be silent, uh, unable to figure out what it is that we should say. Uh, we might uh, just, uh, just, who knows what, but one of the appropriate responses is most certainly to, to fall at his feet. I remember reading this story some time ago. Uh, It's uh, a story about a number of prominent literary men who were assembled in a club room in London one day a number of years ago. Some of you may have heard this. Uh, So basically these guys, these really smart guys, they get together and they talk very intelligently to each other about all kinds of things. And uh, they use a lot of big words and stuff, uh, talk about deep stuff. And so one time this conversation uh, advered to a discussion of some of the illustrious figures of the past. And one of the company suddenly asked, Gentlemen, what would we do if Milton were to enter this room? Uh, Referring to John Milton, one of his works, famous works, Paradise Lost. And uh, it was said of him that he is one of the preeminent writers in the English language. So he had been deceased for some time, but these men that gathered together to talk about things, they say, well, what would we do if he walked into this room right now? One said, ah, we would give him such an ovation as might compensate for the tardy recognition recorded him by the men of his own day. See, even their answers are really smart. You're like, can you like put that in another a way? Uh, this is the way they talk to each other. But they were saying we would applaud him. We would recognize him for what he did because the people in his day, they didn't recognize him. We would. we would. We would give him applause for his work. And if Shakespeare entered, another asked, We would arise and crown him master of song was the answer. And if Jesus Christ were to enter, asked another. And there was a silence. I think, said Charles Lamb, amid an intense silence, we would all fall on our faces. Does that not sound fitting to us, right? Does not sound appealing to us? Because we love Him. He is our God. He is our Savior. And, and what a treasure of a place it is to be face down even, right before Him. The world doesn't want to bow the knee to Him. The world doesn't want to acknowledge Him. The world would resist that place, right? To do everything to avoid such a place as that. But for us, right? For us, right? Developing in us as we yield to the Spirit of God's work in our life, it's just becoming more and more effortless to just find ourselves there before Him in such a way as that. You know, there's more to this uh, little scene that I just read than maybe comes to mind initially. Uh, think about it for a second. You've got uh, these women. They, they, uh, they've come to the tomb and they've been given a word that they're going to see Jesus. They've been given a word that they're going to see him. And and they're going from one place to another. They're leaving from one place to another. And on the way from one place to another, they're they're no doubt thinking about him. I mean, I don't know what else they could have been thinking about at that time. So their thoughts are occupied with the Lord. Um, And as they're going from one place to another, they're holding on to this word that they got that they're going to see him. Then... It seems like um, the way it was told to them that they would see the Lord in Galilee, that he was going before them, and they were told, there you will see him. But it seems like he actually appeared to them even before they got there, right? That's the impression you get. So here they are going from one place to another. They're thought to occupy with the Lord. They've got this word, this promise that they're going to see him, and they're expecting that uh, um, by faith, they're expecting that, but then suddenly He appears to them before they, before they thought He would. I hope that kind of rings a bell, all those details there. Because we can easily enter into that, uh, that. We're going from one place to another in this life. And as we move here and there, we're thinking about the Lord. Hopefully more and more as we mature in the faith, our thoughts are occupied with Him and we're going from one place to another in this life thinking about Him. And we're not only thinking about Him as we travel from here to there, but we're holding on to a promise that one day He's going to come, one day we are going to see Him, right? That's us. But then, right, suddenly He will be there. Suddenly. Very likely, before we expected it, He will be there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, it could happen before this message is finished even, right? Those of us believe that way. It could be before this day is through that suddenly, before we expect it, we we know he's coming and we know that uh, we're, we're waiting for that. But perhaps like with them, he came before they thought he would. They saw him before they thought he would. And their response Maybe it'll be our response. The Lord will just appear to us. Maybe he'll say the word rejoice. I kind of smile to think, "Uh, Lord, you don't have to tell me to rejoice. (laughs) In this scene, uh, it's, it's, it's completely, entirely joyful. I imagine that if the Lord were to say rejoice when he suddenly appears to us, he may have to say that because some... Some there might be some fear and some um, there might be some shame and some when he comes, but uh, he would he would want to comfort those hearts and say rejoice, and then to find ourselves so like immediately down at his feet just worshiping him. It should very much appeal to us. We should desire that place very much. And when we think about all that He's done for us, I mean, when we think about what He has done for us, this morning, uh, my thoughts during the Lord's Supper, I uh, was thinking a little bit about, uh, in Psalm 106, it talks about uh, the children of Israel and how um, the Lord had done so much for them. He had, he had done so many things for them, so many wonderful things and blessings, including redeeming them as a nation. And uh, it's kind of a sad psalm because it says that they forgot His works, then it gets sadder because in a few verses later it says they forgot him. They forgot his works and they forgot him. Yeah, we, don't want, to, we want to remember. <laughs> we want to remember. We want to be very mindful of what he has done. We want to think about those things, go over them again and again. Not only what he's done in our lives, but what he's done in others, what he's done in us collectively, to constantly have before us what it is that he's done for us. And as we think about those things, right, at the Lord's Supper, we think about what He's done, and so our hearts just bow down before Him, we worship Him. I'd like to show you this morning something uh, I'm trying still to add to my worship, my reasons for worship, Um, and uh, this is just such a tremendous thing. Uh, We'll have to go back to Exodus to look at it. Exodus chapter 4. I have so much reason to worship him, but um, let me give you some more. <laughs> let me give you some more reason to worship. I'm just simply loving this thought. I hope it will be uh, a treasure to you as well. So we're, we're coming in the scene here where Moses has already been at the burning bush. The Lord has given him his message and has sent Moses back to the children of Israel in Egypt. So Moses comes with Aaron and they give the message of the Lord to the people who are enslaved in Egypt. And um, uh, in verse 31, (laughs) it says, So the people believed. Now, I have to stop right there because I want us to really appreciate this scene uh, maybe more than we might initially. It says, The people believed. And when you know the history of Israel, you know that it didn't often happen this way. They didn't often, enough anyways, hear the word of the Lord and believe it. What a, what a novel idea. <laughs> the, word, the word of the Lord comes to us. He has spoken to us. And when I hear it, I believe it. The word of God works effectively in those who believe it. So what, this is a great scene here. Because their, their history is not always like this. But what, what a wonderful scene to just uh, pause on and think the people heard the word of the Lord, they believed it. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that He had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is another reason to treasure this scene because uh, not only are they believing the word of the Lord as it comes to them, but they're also worshipping the Lord. And they didn't always do this, did they? They didn't always worship the Lord. In fact, it's just uh, it's a wonder because of, among all the nations on earth, there was one nation that had the true God. They were worshippers of God, the living God. He was in their presence. He was their glory. It was their glory among the nations that all the other nations were falling down before blocks of wood. They were worshipping the sun and the stars and the moon. The things that were created, rather than the Creator bowing down before a calf, offering their children in the fire. Israel's glory was that they worshipped God, but they exchanged their glory, didn't they? They exchanged their glory, and they wanted to be like all the other nations. And When we look at Israel, at times they're a good example, like here, but uh, sometimes they're a bad example. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to be like the world's who worships all manner of things, all manner of things that have their affection and their attention, their energies. We are worshipers of God. We are Christians. We worship God. And this is what they're doing here. It's a high point in the nation's history. Can you see them with their heads? Can you picture the scene? They're, They're bowing down. Their heads are down to the ground and their hearts, their minds are thinking about their great God. Hmm. But there's something here. This is the thing I want to suggest that maybe might not be a part of your worship. I don't think it was really a part of my worship. But if you notice, they are worshiping in view of something that has not yet happened yet. They are worshiping God. They've received His Word. They've believed His Word that He is going to save them. He is going to deliver them. But the salvation hasn't come yet. The deliverance hasn't come yet. I mean, so I was mentioning before about bowing down and worshiping for everything that he's done for us, as in the past tense. Can you imagine what might happen to our worship if we begin to worship him for everything he's going to do? Everything that his word has spoken to us of, that if we believe it, if we mix it with faith in our heart, we find ourselves bowing down, not just for what he's done, but for what he's going to do. Oh, like for me, it's it's like this whole other realm has just opened up and it's huge. <laughs> it's a huge realm of things to consider that would prompt me to be at his feet. Yes, for everything he's done, but can we think of everything he's going to do? And they're bowing down because they believe that the Lord is going to carry out his word. That's a great reason to worship. We have so much to look forward to. <laughs> And if I can have those things on my mind, uh, yeah, all the more reason to bow my head down, to bow my heart down before Him. You know, this connects again. It's a little maybe not so obvious, uh, but we connect to this in a certain way. Um, They have a, a received a word from the Lord that he's going to deliver them. But they haven't been delivered yet. That doesn't stop them from worshiping him because they believe what they've heard. Well, that's the same with us. I mean, the, the Christian, we're still waiting for a deliverance, right? We're still waiting to be saved, right? Now someone say, wait a second, where are you going with that? What do you mean by that? We're still waiting to be saved. Well, the Scriptures, right, they speak of absolutely we are saved if we put our trust in Christ, Receive the forgiveness of our sins and His shed blood, then we are saved. Judicially speaking, it is a, a dumb thing. And everything that will, everything that is ours or will be ours, it all stems from the cross. It all stems from Christ. So we are definitely saved. But then we realize the Scripture speaks of us in the process of being saved, right? That, that I'm in the process of being saved, delivered from things like pride or envy or lust. Things like... You know, all manner of things, uh, sexual morality or um, uh, just uh, wastefulness or anger. I'm, I'm currently being saved as I yield to the Spirit of God in my life because if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I experience deliverance. I experience salvation, present tense, as I walk with the Lord. But that's not all, right? We're still waiting for a salvation. We're still waiting for the Lord to come, as he said, And take us away from here and save us from this present evil age, from this flesh (laughs) that's sin. I know I'm wearing a white shirt and, you know, that's all nice. But there's still sin in this body. There's still sin just looking to express itself through me. Just give me the members of your body, Scott, because I want to express myself. And I just can't wait to be delivered from that. I'm waiting. But I've been told about that deliverance. I've been told about that salvation. It's still coming. And so can I not, in view of the fact that it is and that I believe it, can I not bow down and worship Him? Can I not bow down and worship Him in view of what is to come? Hmm. Some great verses. Um, I'll just quote these uh, or read them, I won't have you turn to them. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. That's from Psalm 62. You know, really, like the whole Old Testament, if you want to give it a kind of a theme, the whole Old Testament is, is that God wanted his people to worship him as they anticipated the coming salvation. He wanted a nation of people who worshipped him in view of the coming of the Messiah. The the Old Testament is speaking everywhere about this one, this Christ, this deliverer, this prophet, this servant. And he was going to come and he was going to deliver his people. But it hadn't happened yet, but he still wanted his people to be worshipping him. Waiting. It's like the whole Old Testament is about a people waiting. And unfortunately, they're still waiting in a wrong sense. Waiting for the salvation of God to come. But in the meantime, worshiping Him. What a great way to just put a theme on the Old Testament. A people of God, He wanted to worship Him while they waited for His deliverance to come. Jeremiah, in his heartbreaking book, Lamentations, he says... The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And you find these kinds of verses everywhere. (laughs) And so God wanted His people to be worshiping Him, but waiting patiently, expectantly, hopefully, with faith that the salvation that He was telling them about was going to come. Let me show you another one. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. This is a great verse. Sticking to that theme of worshiping, not just for what he's done, but to think of what he's going to do and that that should give us cause to be at his feet. Look at verse 24. (laughs) Uh, This is Moses speaking. And uh, I think this is about the time when, uh, really close to when Moses is going to die and uh, Joshua is going to take the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And look what Moses says in verse 24. He says, O oh Lord God, You have begun to show Your servant Your greatness and Your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who would do anything like Your works and Your mighty deeds. Can you imagine what Moses saw in his life, especially where? Especially in that cleft of the rock. (laughs) What he said to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says in so many words, okay, (laughs) okay. He put him in the cleft of the rock there put his hand over him. I can't imagine the anticipation as Moses was in that little space between rocks, perhaps not being able to see anything, but he knew he was about to. And he, maybe he's wondering to himself, like, what did I just ask for? Oh my goodness, I just asked to see. the. I remember he came down on the mountain in fire and the whole mountain was quaking and lightning was shooting out. And I see him face to face, actually, in the tent. I see his form. And now I've asked to see his glory. And he said yes. And then his hand is removed. What did he see? He saw splendor. He saw magnificence on display. And <laughs> one thing he certainly saw is light. He saw light. I, I mean, he, he just, uh, I guarantee he wasn't distracted. <laughs> By anything else, it completely captivated everything in him to see the glory of God. He comes down the mountain, and it's all over his face, right? His face is just shining. The children of Israel are terrified. They're running away from him. But The glory that he saw just came right onto his own face, and it was shining off of him. Imagine what Moses saw up to this point. But did you see what he said? He said, "O oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant. You have begun. <laughs> I know that you have only just started to show me. What a thought, brothers and sisters, whatever our experiences of God, whatever we've tasted of Him, whatever we know of Him, we could say the same thing. we could say, Oh Lord, you have just but begun." Gone to show me your greatness. Reminds us what we read in Ephesians 2 this morning. And in fact, just turn to Ephesians chapter 2. we'll start at verse 4. A God who is rich in mercy. He's so wealthy. He's so wealthy and so generous. God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is the verse. That in the ages to come. Now an age, we might say a dispensation. <laughs> dare we say that word? And It's a period of time that has a beginning, it has an end. And there have been ages and there were going to be ages. One of them starts, comes to an end and then another one begins. And here he says, in the ages to come. Might be a way of just saying, you know, forever and ever and ever. (laughs) In the ages to come, he might show, he might put on display what? What is he going to put on display in eternity? The exceeding riches of his grace. He is so. Wealthy. Oh my goodness. He has a treasure chest. It's never going to run dry. He will always, he is an eternal person. So he will always be able to bring out something new. He will always be able to keep us in awe. He will always show us more of his perfections, more of his beauty, more of his loveliness. And it's like, I wonder if throughout eternity we will ever close our mouth because it's going to be. we have so much to look forward to. He's going to just keep digging into that and bringing it out. Let me show you something else. Let me show you something else. More of the beauty of who He is and His expression of it towards us. Show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us. And this is what it's all connected with. It's all connected with Christ Jesus. That's how He does All of this goodness, all of this uh, blessing, it all comes to us through his beloved Son. Can you imagine that? As the ages go on, he's just going to keep on showing us of his greatness and of his beauty. And we're going to love it. (laughs) We're going to love it. I love the the word there, uh, exceeding he might show the exceeding. It means to throw beyond the usual mark. So if I was to throw something, if a bunch of people were to throw something and it kind of landed, all landed around the same area, you know, we were throwing something, but then someone comes along and takes the same object and throws it beyond that. And I think, now, what's the one emotion that might characterize us if we were to witness that? And for me, I would say surprise, maybe. I like that word, surprise. I mean, we're just just plan on it just plan on being surprised for eternity for eternity just surprised as he shows us more and more of those riches can we not worship him for all that is to come there's a, a author he wrote these things uh, these words There are two methods which the Lord graciously adopts in order to draw the heart away from the present world. The first is by setting before it the attractiveness and stability of things above. The second is by faithfully declaring the evanescent and shakable nature of things on the earth. Now it is much better to be drawn by the joys of heaven than to be driven by the sorrows of earth. I think we... We, we get that, right? There's sorrow here, there's grief here, there's ungodliness here, there's vileness here, there's death here. It's just this world is a broken place. And we see it, we witness it, we experience it. And some of these things, it just drives us to think heavenward. And, you know, there's a place for that. Then there's also a place, though, for all the attractiveness of everything that's there, <laughs> and especially him being there that that draws us there. So we're kind of driven there by the way the world is, but we're also drawn to think of what's to come by the attractiveness of all that is Him. And certainly that's a better way to be motivated than... It's a better thing to be occupied with that than it is to be occupied with the things of the earth. Sometimes we just watch the news too much, you know? It's like, (laughs) you know, read our Bibles would do a lot better give us a much better perspective. We have such abundant reason to be worshipers. God has done so much for us. He's going to do so much for us. And we just should be there at his feet. There's one song um, that is in our black book. I'd like to uh, read it here. Um, I love this song because it ends the same way. Uh, it's 159 if you want to look along. Um, it ends, every verse ends the same way. And I'm not going to sing it, but I'll, I'll it. It was uh, last Monday night. It was a pretty uh, uh, epic moment. I led singing uh, for the first time. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. but Anyways, uh, so I'll just read this. Um, life, speaking of the Lord's life, and just the, the beauty of him When he was here, life, life of love poured out, fragrant and holy. Life mid rude thorns of earth, stainless and sweet. Life whence God's face of love, glorious but lowly, shines forth to bow us, Lord, low at thy feet. Grief, grief of love that drew hates every arrow. Grief that thy suffering heart only could meet. Grief, whence thy face of love, shining in sorrow, draws us, adoring Lord low at thy feet. Death, death of stricken love. Wraths sea exploring. What a tremendous little phrase that is. Wraths see exploring. The wrath of God. As the propitiation, he absorbed all the wrath of God. And there's prophets that speak uh, in the language of waters that uh, waves and billows in the deep and coming up to my neck and over my head. And especially Jonah, but he's not the only one that would speak in such terms of that to speak about God's wrath. You find it in the Psalms as well. And Jesus on the cross... He's exploring that sea of wrath. I mean, well, depths to which we could never even know. We couldn't even imagine. We couldn't go to. We couldn't experience. He explored every, every part of it. He knew every part of that immense body of wrath that came upon him. Death, life, mysterious death. Life's mysterious death, deep meeting deep. It's like you have deep thoughts over here, you're trying to understand them, and then you got deep thoughts over here, you're trying to understand them independent of each other, and then they're like joining together, and you're like, ugh. It's just uh, overwhelming to try and consider what took place there. Death, whence thy bursting heart, fills ours outpouring, all, all in worship, Lord, lo, at thy feet. So here's... Uh, Question, do we do this? I'm pretty sure everything I've said has been quite agreeable, but do we do this? Do we bow low at His feet? Is that part of our life? Is it part of our week? Is it part of our day? to spend time worshiping him. We're Christians. That's what we do. We pray. We read the Bible. We're well behaved. We tell others about Jesus. We worship. I mean, this is what we do. The veil has been rent at incredible cost so we can come in. We can come in John was mentioned that before. It's like we can come in and worship Him. We were far off before. We weren't near Him. We had no opportunity to be there, to be close. And, but now, through the blood of Christ, we've been brought near. Let us go in and spend time before His throne, spend time at His feet. And to do this privately, To do this, probably you and I on our own, some point during our week, some point during the day, multiple times during the day if possible, to do this, to be at His feet. And for those who know this, right, you know, you know what a sweet place it is, right? You know that when you get there, it's just you and the Lord. And uh, if you will, you've got Him by the feet. If you will, you're, you're at his, the footstool of his throne and you're just there. And your heart is occupied with him. Your thoughts are thinking about him. And uh, you just you start telling him, Lord, you are so great. You're perfect in every way. You're gracious and kind and you're so ready to forgive. You are holy, but you are beautiful in your holiness. And you are so generous. And you take such good care of me. And you just, just go on and tell him everything that you've learned about him that's great about him, and, and in that way you worship him. You know, I had that one scene, we all know that scene where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> I know it's a scene of teaching, you know, he's teaching, right? But I only imagine that Mary's heart is just filled with uh, all precious thoughts about him as she's sitting there. And Martha's doing her thing. And it needs to be done. There's a certain measure of what needs to be done. Um, but she's muttering under her breath, right? And she says to the Lord, tell my sister to help me. But the Lord, the Lord wouldn't take that from her. She was there at his feet. Can you just imagine the way she's looking at him? (laughs) Can you just imagine the way she's looking at him? Just a heart of worship towards him. And someone wants to come along and take her away from that. This is, I suggest to you that, listen, if you and I will secure that place of worship, if we will discipline ourselves and see to it that we spend time there, and then we discover how wonderful it is so it doesn't take all that much discipline to do it, perhaps it less and less, maybe because um, you know, we just uh, we just want to be there. Um, but if we move in that direction and we protect that place from all of the encroaching things of life that just want to come in, I, still it's, I hope I don't distract here from the point too much. But like um, just thinking of this story now, I remember a brother was saying that um, he was trying to have his devotions. Uh, um, and uh, he, I guess, the first thing was he had these hedges that were overgrown, and he kept thinking about how he should do the hedges, how he should trim the hedges day after day, week after week. I don't know, month after month. I don't know how overgrown they were. Anyways, he's thinking about it, and uh, but he's also thinking about spiritual things, and he's thinking I really got to devote my time, sp- you know, some time every day to being in the Word. So he kept putting it off. So finally, he did. It. He sat down. He's got his Bible open, and he starts to, you know find the verse he's going to read, and maybe he starts to pray, and all of a sudden he's like, you know, those bushes really need to be trimmed. (laughs) You know, it's just, that's what happens, right? It just uh, comes in and it wants to take that opportunity away from us. Life does. But if we're willing to protect that time, I see here in that story of Mary and Martha, you know what I'd suggest to you is that the Lord will protect that time too. The Lord will protect that time too. And that's a nice thought. He wants us there. And if we want to be there and we're, we make every effort to be there, he himself will protect. So he wouldn't let Martha take her away from that spot. And what a sweet place it is. And then, corporately. Yes, we should be worshiping the Lord individually in our privacy of our own home, with the the door closed in our room, face down on our bed, or kneeling, or something—whatever seems right to us to do. But hearts bowed down before the Lord, you know, with no one else there to see, just you and Him. But then we do it corporately. We can't—we we can't just do it on our own. We come together to do it. That's what we did this morning. We all came together and we all collectively bowed our hearts down before the Lord. There was this one sister. She told me. After years and years and years of uh being uh, attending the Lord's Supper, she said actually she said that uh concerning that meeting in particular, she just felt like uh you know because she couldn't participate audibly uh share something that she felt like she was just sitting there doing nothing I admit i was I was kind of agitated by it I'm like Thinking to myself, all of these years you have come and you have sat at the Lord's table. You've you've been there and, and just because you couldn't stand up and say something, you, you felt as though you were doing nothing. We're worshiping together. What happens with the, with the men then? Um, I didn't plan it this way, but this morning... I didn't share anything. I didn't stand up to say anything. Am I sitting there doing nothing? Absolutely not. Well, sometimes I am because I'm not the best worshiper yet, but I'm working on it. We are bowing down together collectively. We're we're putting before us the Lord. We're thinking about him, and together with one another, we're bowing down our hearts before him, worshiping him. This is pictured so beautifully, both of these things, privately and corporately in Israel, because... An Israelite could be anywhere in the land of Israel, and they said, You know, I want to worship the Lord. So they make the journey from wherever they are, they bring their offering, they come to the temple, and they worship by themselves. They offer their offering. But then there was the corporate times when the whole nation would come together, especially during those three feast days. Can you just picture the whole nation, all the devout Jews, I should say, coming together and they go down into the valley and they come up into the city and they're singing the songs of ascent and it's joyful and it's so very happy. They're going up to the temple of the Lord. They're making their offerings and they're doing it together. It's a great time. There's verses where... In the Psalms where David says, We walked to the house of God in the throng. (laughs) I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. The sons of Korah say, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. And so together they went to meet with God. Together they went to worship Him. And that's what we do too. We come together as an assembly and together we bow down together before Him to worship Him. By the way, you know one of the terms for Jerusalem, one of the terms for the temple um, that God calls it? I mentioned it already. Um, It's funny, sometimes you you don't want to say things because you want to save it. And I accidentally said it, but... Anyways, uh, there the temple is, it's called his footstool. Doesn't that just bring us around in such a wonderful way to where we began? <laughs> the children of Israel coming individually, the children of Israel coming corporately, where are they coming? To the feet of the Lord. It should appeal to us. It should most certainly appeal to us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we pray that you would stir us up to this. We are your people. We are worshipers of you. We are worshipers of your Son. And we pray that this would truly characterize our life, that this would appeal to us, that such scenes as those that we thought on this morning, it would be scenes that we would want to enter into. We could have gone to so many more, Father, We pray that you would stir us up, that it would be a part of our daily activity, that at some point we would uh, take every effort to put everything else aside just to spend time before your throne. Lord Jesus, to spend time at your feet and to speak to you about all of the great things we've ever learned about you and to be filled with affection for you. We pray that you'd stir us up to this individually, but then corporately to come here, to take the bread, to take the cup, and with one another worship you, to be gathered to you, even just like Israel did, but much more intimately. We pray. I know that not everybody here comes to the Lord's Supper. They may uh, imagine that they're believers, but they don't come and they don't worship corporately with us at that time and remember you, our Savior. I pray that they would... They would just—they would not be afraid to come, that if there's sin that keeps them away, that they would deal with that sin, that it wouldn't just let it rain over them so as to keep them away from such a lovely feast, but that they would come and they would worship with the rest of us as we bowed on our hearts before you and remember you. Oh, We look forward to that day, though, <laughs> when uh, we will see you, and um, it may come sooner than we expect. Suddenly there you will be. And uh, we'll find ourselves, no doubt, just holding on to your feet. We can all fit around you. Uh, But uh, just our hearts will be filled with just a a wonder that uh, here you are, and now we are with you. And uh, we'll be thrilled that through all eternity, we're going to learn more and more about all of your perfections and all of the beauty and loveliness of your person. So uh, in saying these things, Lord, we even say, even comes, Lord Jesus, come. So we just ask these things for your name's sake. Amen.